With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today, Bryce Simon is in the building. And we're going to do a 2024 NBA Mock Draft podcast. If it's a little bit different than what it typically is, that's because we're recording ahead of time. I have a doctor's appointment on Monday in the United States. Uh, I also have a meeting on Tuesday that I have to go to. So we're recording this on Sunday before the Super Bowl. But we have a really good show planned. And unfortunately, we're not going to quite get as much like interaction as what we typically do. But we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a really, really good time breaking down all of these draft prospects for you guys, explaining where this draft sits as we get into it. And this is going to be a slight change from our way that we've gone about it to this point. I ran a tankathon simulation in order to get an order for this draft. We're going to use team needs here because I think we're at the point in this class where trying to pinpoint the players who actually tick boxes yep. for teams is really important. Uh, this draft particularly is one that's going to be seen as a eye of the beholder draft and one where there isn't really a tier one player uh in this class comparatively to previous classes. I am still a little bit skeptical that there's even like a tier two guy comparatively to past classes. For me, tier two guys would be like Evan Mobley. Uh, you know, I think I had Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs in that tier. Uh, last year I had Cam Whitmore, who I think would clearly go number one overall in this class. What, what was Jay Nivey just for my own? Where, where'd you have Jay Nivey? Yeah, was he a tier two? I Jade Nivey in tier two. Okay. I I had Paulo in tier two, okay. uh, personally. So and I had Chet in tier two. I don't think I had like a crazy tier one player in that class either. Uh, tier one for me is like Cade, you know, uh, Vic. Uh, I had Scoot in tier one. We'll sure. see how that okay. works out long term. But in this class, because there are not as many like super, super high upside players seen by NBA teams. I think that the way these guys fit on rosters is going to be really, really important. So we wanted to do an exercise in, Hey, let's get an order and let's actually see where these guys start to fall whenever you need to account for the needs of teams. So with that said, the order in this draft at the top four, is going to be the Detroit Pistons, the Toronto Raptors, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Memphis Grizzlies. I ran one tankathon sim. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is some scientific way to go about it. The Wizards five, Hornets six, Blazers seven, Rockets eight, Thunder nine via the Houston pick, Hawks ten, Bulls eleven, Oklahoma City Thunder twelve via the Jazz pick. That is transferring in this scenario because it currently is in real life. The Blazers get 13 via the Warriors and the Pelicans get 14 via the Lakers. That's where we sit right now. And that's where we're going to roll for this podcast. Bryce, that's three and a half minutes of me talking to lay it all out. How's it going, buddy? 
It's good. Uh, you know, I'm glad you didn't let everybody know. The real reason we're recording this before the Super Bowl is in case the Chiefs lose and I have a complete meltdown <laughs> and just absolutely cannot function on Monday for a podcast talking about something completely different. So um, shout out you for making that sacrifice and doing it. And, and I do. I've been very excited about this because I think what this is actually going to do for me, Sam, it's going to help me flesh out my board. I have tiers on my board and I'm going to find out, okay, does this guy actually belong in this tier or should this guy drop a tier? I'm not as worried about my like specific rankings yet. We're still in February. So who's one, two, three or four or five, but is my six guy, should he actually be in the tier with the five guys above him? Should 20 and 21 be up there with those guys, you know, type of thing. And, I, you know, I, I'm really interested. Like, how many bigs can we draft in the first round? Because there's a lot of bigs I like, but I think I have too many in my top 30. How many little guards can we draft, Sam? How many, you know, Reed Shepard, Dillingham, but then can Devin Carter also be a first round pick? Can, can Tyler Kolick also be a first round pick? Are there enough spots for those guys? So I think this is why this will be a fun, just kind of activity to flesh some of those things out. I think that is a great, great way to think about it. And typically the way that this works is we go back and forth. Normally I like flick a coin or a coaster or something like that in order for us to figure out who's going to go first because the Pistons got number one. We're just going to give Bryce the number one pick here so that he can explain his thought process. I think that's probably what the people want at the end of the day, given the flag and his background. And then I'll go to Bryce will go three, I'll go four, Bryce will go five, et cetera, et cetera. That means that you know he'll get to draft for the Pistons, Spurs, Wizards, Blazers. I'll get to draft for the Raptors, Grizzlies, Hornets, and Rockets in the top eight. It's kind of a great mix, I think, for both of us. So with all of that said, Bryce, is there anything else that we need to let the people in on? No, I think that's good. I said, I think it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Just a reminder, it's February 11th. We have a lot of basketball yes. to evaluate still. <laughs> and, you know, things can yeah. change. Guys can really rise. Again, I'm not sure where Bilal Koulibaly was on people's draft boards this time last year. Guys are playing out of their minds still right now. Does that fall off? Do people, you know, all of that stuff. And I haven't even got to Sam yet where I like, go through and say, okay, am I sure this wing is better than this wing? Like where are my mistakes type of thing? Where, yeah. you know, what are teams really looking for? What's the Intel, right? Like Cam Whitmore's Intel dropped in 15 spots, 16 spots, whether we agree with it or not. So there's a lot to come. And you, you brought it up the last time we talked NBA draft. How many of these guys aren't even in it? I was just reading a tweet yeah. about Johnny Furphy and Keyshawn George being 2025 guys. And I'm like, I have a sneaking suspicion at least one of those guys gets drafted in the next hour, hour and a half, if not both of those guys. So again, oh, both of them will be picked. I can confirm that. <laughs> I agree. And so that's the thing is how many stay in, how many stay out injuries. There, there, there's some other things that, you know, to filter through over the next few months. Yep. Okay. So with all of that preamble, Bryce, <laughs> you're up the number one overall pick to the Detroit Pistons. And this is the perfect example. So a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked through these things and I said, Alex Saar, I think is my number one prospect. I have him kind of in my own tier right now. I really believe in this archetype, all of that, all of that, all of that. And people started going, well, would he fit with the Pistons? Would he fit with this team? What would he do with that team? And it just clicked right there. Like I legit changed it. And I'm not always this like 
reactionary, but I'm like, people are right. This is right. This is why I like talking it out is he can't be in his own tier because I wouldn't take him number one for 30 teams. And I think for this Pistons team, I would take Zachary Risa Shea. And I think this, and, and I don't want that to sound like he's not a good player. I think he's really good also. So his play has been a huge part of this as well as an athletic two-way wing, 6'9", 6'10", 6'9". I think for Risa Shea, he can shoot it. He's an off-ball wing. I think he fits really well into what this Piston team need. We saw him acquire some like two-way wing forwards at the deadline. It's not enough. Those guys don't have enough like star power. I'm not saying Risa Shea does, but there's definitely room for another one. And I think ultimately this is the guy that I would go with right now if I was the Detroit Pistons. Well, and what we've talked about with the Pistons now for months on end is that they've been looking for a like hybrid three, four man, yes. right? They've been looking for somebody, you know, uh, Tobias Harris keeps coming up. There was a report from Shams that they will look at Kyle Kuzma and miles bridges and all of these guys like that. Right. So Riza Shea fits a positional value equation. He fits a team needs value equation due to the way that he can shoot the way that he can play off ball defense. I, I think that he kind of ticks the box across the board for the Pistons. I think he should like very clearly be the top player on their board uh, at this point. Uh, Riza Shea, for people who don't know, currently plays for uh, Borg over in France and plays some Euro Cup competition. He's been quite good this season. He's averaging 11.4 points per game, shooting 52% from the field, 46% from three, 70% from the line, 3.6 rebounds and assists. Uh, right around a steal and like half of a block per game plays really, really solidly on the weak side defensively. As you can tell by the three point percentage has been on fire as a shooter. This season has very, uh, tr tremendous touch across the board. I think big question with him is self-creation. Is he the kind of player who can work his way into being a creator sure. in ball screen situations in the way that somebody like Brandon Miller is to reference a six foot nine, uh, big, quote unquote, ball handler, shooter type that went in last year's draft. I think Brandon Miller had a lot more self-creation upside, which is why Brandon Miller is a more interesting, intriguing, and always has been better prospect than Riza Shea at this point. But Riza Shea, uh, I believe, does not turn 19 until after the draft, if I remember correctly. He turns uh, no, he turns in 19 April. in April. So still not 19 yet. He is very, very, very young. And we're going to see where it goes for Riza Shea. The last thing that I want to bring up here before we move forward. The reason that I have Riza Shea currently, and I'll spoil this. I have Riza Shea at number one on my board at this point. And the reason for that is as you go through the teams, it's actually kind of hard to find the team that I think he wouldn't go number one on. Sure. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, like, they need shooters next to Scotty Barnes. Like he makes an immense amount of sense there. The Spurs, a team that again could really use as much spacing around Victor Wembanyama as possible. Uh, maybe they would go with more of a point guard, but I don't know that I'm convinced. The Grizzlies have been looking for a big wing forever. Maybe it's Gigi Jackson. Maybe it's not, but I would probably take another flyer there if he was available. Uh, who, who else do we have here? We have 
the Wizards, like maybe the Wizards take Alex Sar, maybe they take Rizashay. They just kind of need so much that they're a team that you can make a case one way or another for the Hornets. Makes sense. Maybe you can make a case like he, he works for all of these teams is kind of my point here. There isn't a team where you look at it, the Blazers, etc., where it's like, oh, shit, like versus Shea doesn't work here. Like we shouldn't take him. Even with like Brandon Miller on yeah. the Hornets, you already have LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams. That's your core three that you're building around. Versus Shea is like a perfect player to put next to those guys. So I really, really wonder we're not there yet and i'm not saying that this is true at this point but i wonder if we get to the point where rizache is a bit of a consensus number one well i think there's probably more teams than not that he's gonna make more sense right and then a team who doesn't have a center like say the wizards who traded daniel gafford maybe it's like hey they're the one team if they get the number one pick alex sar makes more sense for them just because of the roster and this this is the draft where that is going to be true right like we've talked about this at length it's it's not victor it's not kate at the top where no matter what but you're right and i think this is just position versatility in general is more teams are going to make sense for Risa Shea than is going to make sense for Alex Saar. Even if I still, I still have Saar number one on my board. And this is why I do tiers is because you can't just hold yourself to that. I think that's a mistake. I don't like to break tiers. I'm interested to see how that plays out throughout the draft. And I was like, it, as somebody who watches the Pistons every single second, this would be a great addition. I think it would fit right into kind of the direction, kind of what seems like a new direction, Sam, where they went out and got guys who can defend a little bit, but still Mm -hmm. space the floor. And this is going to be the Cade and Ivy show. And whether people agree with that or not, or think they're going to be good enough or not, it it doesn't really matter. The Pistons needed to find that out. So the Fentecchio spaces the floor, plays a little bit of defense. Grimes spaces the floor, plays a lot of defense. Risa spaces the floor and plays defense. Like it all just would make a lot of sense with what direction it looks like this organization has finally decided. And I think rightfully so to take. Okay. Let's go to number two. Okay. We have the Toronto Raptors sitting here on the clock at two. The Raptors are in a really interesting position. They've made this trade for RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. Barrett has looked quite good since they have acquired him quickly. I think looks like a continued building block for them moving forward. Their main key player moving forward is Scotty Barnes. Obviously, what do you need beyond that? You've selected Grady Dick. Grady Dick started to come around by the way, over his last 15 or so games, hitting like 40% from three. It's been good to see. I think, and I know that they have Jakob Pertl, I think you can make a case that Alex Sar is the right flyer for them to take. And here's why. For, for you to get the most out of Scotty Barnes long-term, I think that you really are going to need a floor spacing five, a guy who can knock down shots from the perimeter. And while I think that Alex Sar isn't quite there yet consistency-wise in terms of knocking down shots from the perimeter, I do think that there is a chance he gets there at some point. Sar is a seven-foot-one big man currently playing for the Perth Wildcats, a top-two team in the NBL. He has been fantastic since coming back from his little minor injury that he had over the course of two weeks prior to these two weeks. 
Sar currently is averaging 9.3 points, 4.3 rebounds, 1.4 blocks in the NBL, shooting 52% from the field, 29% from three. But you watch him, his defensive tape is unbelievable. 18 uh, minutes a game. Coverage. Real quick, Sam. 18 minutes a game just to give context to the numbers. Yeah, he plays behind Keanu Pinder, who is an all-NBL uh, like center last season. So he's somebody that is currently off the bench, plays really critical high leverage minutes for them a lot of the time. Uh, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes they go with a different lineup. But unbelievable ground coverage defensively. You go and see him in person. Guys just like don't drive into him like when he's on the court they use him a lot as a help defender in the same way that like cleveland uses evan mobley uh you know memphis uses jaron jackson when they have a center like it's kind of a similar deal and it's just really hard to drive into that he's seven foot one has seven foot five wingspan he moves incredibly well incredibly fluidly he's just a very very high-end defensive prospect that also really has potential to shoot he has touch. It's just like a bit of an inconsistent shot because it gets like a little bit of side spin. He has a little bit of offhand interaction on it. I think he'll shoot it long term is where I'm at. It's just probably going to take a couple of years. But if you're the Raptors, it's a good flyer to take because I think he'll be able to come in and play defense immediately for like 15 to 20 minutes a night. And then hopefully he can grow offensively over the course of the time and become that floor spacing five man that you really want for Scotty Barnes. So yeah, and Alex R Toronto Raptors and Sard also doesn't turn 19 until April. So another one of these young kids, again, you, you laid out the defense. I am a believer in Alex Sar's offense. I just think the flashes Going back even to this past summer before NBL games started, I was turning on tape and watching guys like, okay, who do I need to dive into? And he was the guy, Sam, all the way back then. When yeah. what coming in, he was probably late first round type of guy coming into the season. Oh, not not for me. No, I had him. You had it. You always had him. Way. Okay, because yeah. I would text some people about it, and they'd be like, oh yeah, he's interesting, but he needs way more consistency and stuff like that. So. Um, sounds like you were in on him more. Maybe the guy, people I were talking to him weren't in on him soon enough, but just, I was intrigued right away by the offensive flashes. Right. And so again, this is a guy playing in a professional league where it's a little bit different. The minutes aren't always consistent. I don't want to just like give him excuse after excuse, but he has flashed some real offensive stuff. I would have taken SAR here as well because of the defense, because of the potential, offensive skill level. And again, I've said it now three times, but just that archetype of player. I wonder what Toronto would do. Like we just kind of were like, man, what's Kelly Olynyk doing here? Could you get move off of Jakob Pertle at less than $20 million a year? And do you move with SAR and KO? Do you keep Pertle for a year and let SAR develop? Like, I think you can make it work. I think he's worth drafting here and then if you have to make some other move to find minutes and rotation and ko could play some at the four too if you wanted to keep him around and play with totally sar right and so i don't think there's a log jam to where that keeps you from drafting this guy i i would agree with this selection 100 before we started you said maybe there was another guy do you, you want to like i would just be interested if you like if if sar would have been off the board well we couldn't have you would have just taken risa shea i guess so I would have taken Rissachet for them. Uh, it, it is a little bit hard to pinpoint for the Raptors. Like yeah. some guys, if if they were like three or four, right? It'd be a little bit tougher. They 
like it doesn't totally work for them. Like Cody Williams isn't really a shooter yet. Uh, Steph Castle is not a shooter. Nikola Topic, like you could maybe take a flyer on. Uh, Reed Shepard, I think would be great for them, but he just like doesn't fit their archetype of player that they've tended to take. Uh, Ron Holland isn't a great shooter. Like to me, like I want shooters. Like the, the guy that does kind of work for them, I think is modest. Like if I was them, I might take a shot on him and look, they're going to be lower in the draft order in all likelihood, right? Like based on odds, it's just that I ran a tankathon sim and they ended up at number two because they have a, you know, whatever chance to move into the top four, 15% chance to move into the top four or something like that. So I think it's actually a little bit easier for them if they're later in the draft. But obviously you would love to have the top two pick uh, if you get it, if only for trade value, things like that. So I, I would be excited to see what Toronto would do. It'd be really interesting. Yep, for sure. Okay. You're up at number three. The number three pick here is the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. So I've gone through this. Um, I, I will admit the next guy on my board is Cody Williams right now. And I'm trying to filter that out. Like, does that make sense? And something you said about them needing spacing around Victor. And it's like, okay, do I believe in Cody Williams as a shooter just yet? I'm a little higher on Ron Holland still. I think I'm probably going to end up taking him higher than maybe what you Well, I don't know where you're at on Ron Holland. So I don't know. Um, I'm really thinking about Reed Shepard here because floor spacing is a premium for them. I'm going to go Topich here on February okay. 11th. That's that's where I'm going to go today. I really thought about Shepard, though. Um, and and Stefan Castle's been playing really well recently. Again, I'm not sure. Like, the shot looks like he has developed a little more confidence in it. Um, but I, I will go with what I do think this team needs. I kind of agree with you that eventually they're going to need a higher upside guard. I, I thought about Ron Holland, but I'm like, this jumper's just not there yet. How's that going to work? So I'm going to go with Topich here. Maybe not as exciting, but maybe just a, a table setter that can run pick and roll with Vic and just a guy that can do that for, you know, five to eight years. And then you got to take your swing in some other capacity. So Topich, six foot six, big guard who can play in ball screens. That's the whole thing. Started the season playing for Mega, the prospect powerhouse that is over in the Adriatic League in Serbia actually moved mid-season to Red Star. Red Star was loaning him out to Mega uh, and got hurt basically, you know, after a couple of games with Red Star. So we haven't seen a ton of him playing EuroLeague competition. That's really what I'm excited to yes, see. Like 100%. I would like to see him against that level. The Adriatic League competition is interesting. It's a really high-level league. It's where Nikola Jokic came from. It's where Yusuf Nurkic came from. It does tend to be more bigs that come out of there, though, and the perimeter players tend to take a little bit more time as they adjust to the level of athleticism uh, on the perimeter from players particularly. Like, you watch those games, and it's a lot of, like, Topich kind of stringing a guy out that's a big that, like, doesn't move super, super well necessarily, and he's just, like, getting to the lane and getting to the paint and driving and kicking or finishing at the rim. I really would like to see him against the higher level of competition. I, I think yep. he, I think he could easily go number one in the right circumstance. If he really showcases that he has that kind of upside uh, at that level of competition, he could also like prove that it's, it was a bit more, I guess, circumstantial where he's clearly a basketball genius in terms of 
his feel for the game and his passing and his playmaking. But can he consistently break down defenders that are athletic and can sure. yep. actually you know stay in front of him in some way, shape, or form? The big issue that's the swing skill for Topic is the jumper. Uh, we'll probably break him down a little bit more in depth at some point, uh, if only to not belabor this thing as we're going through it. But uh, Topic is very much in the mix to go in the top three, uh, especially the Spurs, I think, could make a lot of sense for Topic as well. Uh, I think this is this lines up for sure. So he's 28% from three, but 88% from the free throw line. The jumper, I didn't love it initially, but I've seen him make some big shots. I think the game that I'm like, man, this this he had a really bad first half, and I legit put in my notes, how does he respond? And it was an incredible response in the third quarter. And then the more I watched him, like, okay, he has a little bit of change of pace. He does have some, like, first step burst. I worry about the actual finishing at the rim, more with the athleticism. But you're right. I was super excited about him going to play for Red Star because it's like we, as evaluators, we get a chance. Like, we don't have to go just based off that tape of the league you were talking about, right? Like, we get to go see him against better competition and we get a better evaluation, a more true evaluation. And we just haven't got that yet. So you're right. I think where it'll be interesting. Hopefully he plays, we get to see it, and then we can get an even more a, a better more accurate evaluation of his game and what he's capable of i will also say haven't always been a big fan of his defense so like I, I like to give every side of the coin here um i think it started to get better that was another thing i wanted to see with red Star is like can this kid defend or are teams really going to take advantage of him when it's against better competition also doesn't turn 19 till august so he would be playing summer league as an 18 year old okay Number four, I'm up with the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are in a place where they have a core four. They have John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson. And I really think that Marcus Smart is within that core four. Like if you talk to folks kind of around that organization, things like that, they really love Marcus Smart and they really want to see what it looks like with Marcus as a core piece that can help them close games, play high level defense on perimeter players, on wings, on bigger forwards, guys like that. They love his fit. The thing that's missing there is a big. They've really liked to play Jaron Jackson with a big previously. They tend not to draft for need. And if you look at the way that the board has fallen right now, the next centers on my board are... Donovan Klingon, Eve Missy, like Kyle Filipowski, those, that kind of group. I think this would be like a prime pick that would probably be on the trade market as they look to bounce back after this like injury riddled, suspension riddled season. And don't you think there's some guys on the board right now that maybe teams would see like going up to get Cody Williams? Yeah. Maybe somebody really believes in Ron Holland's upside, Reed Shepard, yep. just like, like, I think there's some, my point, there's some guys on the board. I think some team, cause people will say, what would a team trade up for? I think there's some guys right now that, Hey, we'll trade up five or six spots to make sure we get this guy. Well, and the, and the funny thing is too, I always tend to feel like I have a pulse on like the guys that the Grizzlies like based on their draft history. Right. Uh, 
the guys that they draft tend to be guys that I like just like simply removing David Roddy from the equation. That was really the only one that's like, who's no longer there by the way, Sam, from like, that he's, box. he's gone. Uh, now. He is gone, but I would bet you that their process that they really like Reed Shepard, but I feel like I can't pull the trigger here at number four. Uh, the position they have tried forever and ever and ever to fill uh, is this like bigger wing creator, like big wing player. I'm going to take Cody Williams, terrific big wing driver who can play with the ball in his hands, can really attack the basket. Uh, brother of Jalen Williams for Oklahoma City, except Cody is like six foot eight to six foot nine, long arms, uh, does have a similar mindset when attacking the basket as what Jalen does. Now, the question for Cody is, what is the jumper, right? You can go back through his track record with Perry uh, High School in Arizona. You can go back to his track record at Colorado this year. He is not like a pull-up jump shooter, really, at all. Uh, I think he took like, I have like 18 games or something from Perry High School uh, I've seen on Synergy, and he's taken 10 pull-ups in those games, right? As a completely dominant, like five-star prospect in the state of Arizona. So it's just not what he's done previously. He's going to have to shoot in order to like really reach that upside. The jumper is not broken. Uh, I've heard good things about the work ethic. It's just that that's where he's going to have to improve. He's going to have to showcase that he can knock down that pull-up jumper in a real way. But you're talking six foot nine, big wing creator who can handle the ball, who can grab and go in transition, who can really pass the ball. He played point guard basically growing up all throughout his high school career. There's just a lot of really, really gifted things that he brings to the table that uh, make me go Cody Williams here for the Grizzlies. That seems like a guy that they could like. I I, I see that making sense for them. I also want to say, I think, Cody Williams is a guy that can play on or off ball really well. Um, I love some of his transition relocation and get himself into spots for the catch and shoot three point attempts. Even if the volume isn't high, I still watch for those things, right? Like, are they moving off the ball into those spots to get those attempts? Had some really timely cuts in some games I've watched. So I think he can play off the ball as well, but he does have real passing and feel for the game. And then defensively, I think he's interesting. I've watched some games where he took the toughest matchup, didn't always succeed, but I think as he gets stronger and those type of things, he's going to hold up even better. So he's very interesting to me. I don't know what I think about the jumper, right? It's 48% on essentially 29 attempts is all he's taken because he's battled some injuries. He's only played 14 games for Colorado this yeah, year. You're talking for three for what it's worth. Yes. Excuse me. Sorry. From three. So that that's, that's interesting. I also just really like, he plays a certain pace that as an evaluator, sometimes I struggle with, like it's just a little bit slower, a little more methodical, not Deliberate, quite, yeah. yeah, not quite slow-mo. Like, I'm not saying that, but I, I just always, I don't always, but sometimes I struggle with figuring out those archetype of players. But I think this makes a lot of sense. Like I said, he was number three on my board. Um, so I, I'm with it so far. Yeah. Uh, fi final note, averaging 14 points, uh, three and a half rebounds, two assists, uh, shooting 56, 47, 70 right now we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in june i need to tell you about securing your internet connection with nord vpn 
What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Bryce, you are yeah. up at number five. All right. So this is where I'm just going to stick to my philosophy in terms of order, tier breaks, stuff like that. I have a feeling this guy's going to be a little bit more um, polarizing come NBA draft time. But I'm actually going to take Ron Holland here for the Washington Wizards. Um, I, I don't know what that does with him and Jordan Poole in a backcourt. Oh. I'll give you a little secret here too. So I just did the like bones of the Ron Holland draft guide uh, profile. Right. Uh -huh. uh, I'm like 25 guys in now. I'm like pretty deep into it, like way, way further ahead than what I typically am. And, and what I, I'm not finalizing them now, like what I'm doing is just like getting the bones of like who these guys are, what they do well, everything like that into the, uh, into the profile. I came away thinking that like he's not an effective basketball player right now agreed but i think that there is a lot there that can be fixed and i don't think the fixes are that that hard to be honest so that's why i like him for washington i, I like koulibaly is an exciting player but if i'm washington i think i would go ahead and take a little bit of a swing here and is ron holland a swing at five probably so like is there a chance that maybe all those things you're talking about don't hit? 
Absolutely. Maybe he doesn't figure out how to shoot. I don't think the jumper looks broke, but he is shooting 24%, 73% from the free throw line. He is up to 46% overall, and he is almost averaging 20 points with the G League Ignite right now in a context that I would say I don't love for those guys. And so... no, 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 no. Let, let's let's call it what it is. Okay, that is a horrendous context and, for those guys. And so, right or wrong, whether people want to or not, every one of those guys is going to get that context whenever I'm talking about them. When we talk about Tyler Smith, I'm going to bring it up again. If we get to Izana Mansa, I'm going to bring it up again. Um, who else? Uh, Matas, I'll bring it up again. Right? Like I've had people really come at me about Almansa. Like that's the worst possible situation for the archetype totally. of, archetype of player he is. And I'm like, I get it. And so, honestly, that's the only reason he's as high as what he is for me. I'd have him significantly lower than what I do if I wasn't adding that in, and I may still be too low. But I think this is a good swing for the Wizards with Ron Holland. I think he has some twitch. He has some explosion. He pressures the rim. Here's the other thing. People will immediately look at the assist-to-turnover ratio and think he's selfish. What I don't think he's a selfish player. Now, does he have to iron some of that stuff out? Absolutely. And I know it's a negative. He's definitely not selfish. Yes. He's not selfish. I want to be clear. Yes. That's he's definitely he's flashed some decent passing. And I have it like from four or five different games just to remind myself, Sam, he is not a selfish player. He is not a selfish player. Cause I think sometimes this archetype of player gets that, especially when they have a negative assist to turnover ratio. That's not him. Defensively, real quick, I, I think he's okay. Like as a solid defender, not I don't think he is what he was billed to be, but I do think he can be a defensive playmaker. Like I think he can be disruptive and get through passing lanes and block shots and those type of things. Ooh, there's a lot to talk about with Ron Holland. Uh, <laughs> the biggest question for me is not even the jumper. So I, I do have Ron Holland lower than this, and like he would not be a real consideration for me at five even if i came away liking the tape more than what i thought i would uh in in terms of projectability not in terms of the way it bears itself out on winning right now sure the big issue right now is he's a really bad decision maker it's not that he's selfish it's that I think he doesn't really have a great sense of how to read the court. I feel like a lot of his assists come in transition where he's making uh, early passes or making like creative looks that way. I feel like when he's in the half court, it's a lot of kind of shitty pull up mid range jumpers. And he's gotten better at not taking as many of those throughout the course of the season. Uh, It's a lot of like wild passes. I think he's a very inaccurate passer as well. Uh, he sees them, but I think he often sees them like a split second late right now. And again, Ron Holland, I think turns 19 in like August. So very, very young playing with the ignite. So all of these things are on some level to be expected. What has been good is I think he's actually been like a little bit further ahead purely in terms of like being able to get into the paint like off of a ball screen. What happens once he gets there, I don't know if that's ever like going to be able to be fixed. I hope it can. Uh, He's still young enough to where it could be, but he's starting from like a pretty low level on the decision-making tree right now. 
can he get the time? Can he get the reps? Can he get the experience that he needs in order to rectify that? I hope so. That'd be great. Uh, the shooting, he has a one motion jumper. I think it looks pretty okay when he like gets into rhythm and just takes it right off the catch. He has this tendency to catch like survey, maybe jab step. And then if somebody like gets driven back by the jab step, then it'll be like, oh shit, I'm open. I'll shoot. Right. Like it's never his first option. I almost think that, and he's young enough to where you can do this. Like, I almost think it requires like a bit of like rewiring a little bit just in terms of the decision-making process in his brain. And, you know, everything you hear about Ron Holland is like, wants to be great, like really good kid, like really, really uh, cares about basketball and it shows in how he plays. Right. Because the thing that we haven't talked about yet, and it's by far Ron Holland's biggest skill is his motor. Yeah. Uh, he plays hard all the time. You never have to worry about him just going after it. You never have to worry about him being uh, somebody who's going to go at 100% all the time. He absolutely does that. But teams have taken advantage of that on the defensive end, too, where he's yep. been quite over-aggressive a lot of the time. And I think that like he has a tendency to like hop to the ball, and you just can't really do that against NBA or G League, even caliber talent, professional talent, because they're just too good. They'll take advantage of your uh, over-aggression in a real way. So. A lot to dive into with Ron, a guy yeah. that I like. I, I am fascinated to figure out through this process. I like more than what I probably said there because I think he's like a real athlete who plays hard all the time, seems to have like a good attitude in terms of like wanting to be a like great basketball player. I, I, I think he has enough tools to where I'm really interested to see what it looks like throughout the process. Love it. Okay. Number six, I've got the Charlotte Hornets here, right? So the yep. Hornets, again, building around this, in my opinion, LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, kind of core. This is just kind of an easy pick for me. I, was just, I know exactly where I'd go and I'm pretty sure it's where you're going. I look the guy that just makes the most sense for me is Reed Shepard. 1000% uh, like great decision maker, great shooter who can really space the floor around the guys that you think you think you have your playmakers in place now, right? Like think whatever you think about LaMelo ball as a playmaker. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. That's the reality of who LaMelo is. Brandon Miller over the last month has shown phenomenal strides in terms of being able to play make, being able to create with the ball in his hands, being able to play in ball screens, being able to play second side actions, being able to shoot at a really, really high level. We know that Brandon can do that. Being able to get into the mid range, create shots that way. Take the best connector that you've got <laughs> on the board. Take Reed Shepard. Reed Shepard also fits this team really well because it's my opinion that if you're going to have success with LaMelo ball is your point guard, you need to play up tempo. You need to be able to play fast. You need to be able to let him wheel and deal and be able to go. Reed Shepard is a fantastic transition player. His ability to hit, hit ahead passes, his ability to run to the corners, run to the wings in space, his ability uh, to just read the court and know what is required because of his feel for the game. Th this would be a home run. By the way, I just want to be clear with this. When I talk to teams, like Reed's lower than this. Like I... I've talked to like evaluators. There are evaluators in the NBA that think of Reed in the same way that I do. 
and think of him as like a top five, top six player in this class. But the higher up guys, I think, are still struggling a little bit with the fact that Reed Shepard is listed at six three. I don't think he's six foot three. Doesn't have like phenomenal athletic tools, but is just such a high feel for the game player. But he just doesn't look like a top five pick or a top six pick or even a lottery pick, right? And that's the thing that people are struggling with. So Shepard right now is averaging 12.4 points, 4.3 rebounds, 4.1 assists, shooting 53% from the field, 52% from three, 81% from the line, only 1.8 turnovers. These numbers are ridiculous uh, on their face. Just totally ridiculous for somebody who's a freshman in college. Uh, Averaging just about one block per game despite being again probably not six foot three and i I haven't Uh, done it go through the synergy clips i bet almost all of those are jump shots in an elite jump shot contester on the perimeter i can't imagine teams wouldn't love the value that provides and on top of it averaging almost two steals per game now the defense is a mixed bag like we need to be clear about that like he i think he's actually a good on ball defender his off-ball defense is all over the map. Like he'll space cadet out in the corner sometimes, and, and like, he loses lose shooters every once in a while, right? Like he's got to hone yeah. in on that a little bit more. But as a playmaker and as like a scramble defender, and as like an intuitive, like anticipatory defender, like th- he just has some shit that like you can't teach. Yeah, it's just his hand-eye coordination. You can't teach that either. Look, I get it. He's a little bit older for a freshman. I get it that he doesn't look the part, right? Man, if you're Charlotte, you just need dudes who can hoop. You do. Like, Reed Shepard, I feel good that that guy can hoop. I feel good that he's going to be a really high-level NBA player. Uh, Again, teams that I talk to are more in, like, the eight to, like, outside the lottery even range. Uh, This would be high for Reed, but this is what I would do for sure. I have him seven on my board. I absolutely would have taken him here if I would have had the even selections. I think he makes a ton of sense. He's a great connector. All the things you talked about. If he shoots over 50% from three for the season, I mean, what are we doing? Like at the end of the day, a guy that can shoot the ball that well, that has the IQ that he does, that affects transition in such subtle ways in terms of kicking the ball up the floor, you know, cutting the floor with those passes, all of those things. And defensively is going to be able to hold up because he has great hands and contests and all of the, like we we can, other than Ryan Dunn, we're going to find defensive warts on all of these guys, but Reed has some of the better positive ones that you can really come up with. It, it really is the size, right? And like people wrapping their mind around this six, three white kid that, like you said, isn't, you know, just doesn't look the part as a top six, seven pick. Uh, I, I'm there with it. It took me a little bit, a little while. He's continued to shoot the ball lights out. I think he's really good. And I would a hundred percent have done the same thing. Okay. Number seven. We're about to really disagree here. I have a feeling you're not going to like my selection. Um, I don't know that you're going to hate it, but you're not going to like it. I'm going to take Dalton Connect here at number seven for the Blazers. This is is aggressive, Bryce. Thank you. Um, He's in this. (laughs) He's in this range for me. I have guards that are better, but for Portland, 
like I like what is Stefan Castle going to do in Portland? What does Jacoby sure. Walter do in Portland? Um, I, I mean, I guess he makes like, more sense. I think Jacoby. Yeah. Okay. Here's my thing. Don connect is averaging almost 30 points shooting 50, 45, 74 over his last nine games in the sec i realize he's in his fifth year i realize his age i realize all of this stuff i'm just kind of buying into what i've heard about this kid as a worker as a developer i think i've bought into the story of like he was like five foot four as a freshman in high school had to go the juco route then it was northern colorado now he's gone to tennessee now he's still doing it at tennessee all of these things. I know the defense leaves something to get be desired. I get it. I think he looks the part, all of that stuff. You know, does he make more sense later in the first round where he goes to a contender and is ready to hoop right now? Sure. I get it. I think the guy's an absolute bucket, three levels. And I think for the Blazers, they need a wing. And I that, that that's who I'm going to take. I dig it. I'm here for it. It's early for me. Sure. I would assume it's early for most people. The reason it's early for me is that the defense at 23 is still a real significant issue. Like just like yesterday with these games or Saturday for people that are watching on Monday and Tuesday. The defense like him and Rick Barnes were like talking like back and forth about his defense, like on the court, like you got to see it a little bit. Uh, Again, though, in terms of translation to the NBA, like you said, his last nine games, 28.4 points per game, 50% from the field, 45 from three, 74 from the line, getting to the line eight times per game in that stretch, which is obscene and absurd. Six, six rebounds and only one turnover also. I think that was a stat that like stood out to me. Is he? It's not like he's turning the ball over three times a game. Totally. He has a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio as well. Totally right. Uh he, he's been utterly unbelievable. Like there, there's just not like another way to put it to do this in the sec is completely ridiculous. Uh, he's averaging 26.4 points per game in 10 games in the sec right now. That's ridiculous. Look, I have Dalton as a lottery pick. Most of the teams I talk to like are at the point now where they have them like right at the end of the lottery. Okay. Uh, so that, so that, that, that makes me feel because this tier goes from yeah. six to 17 for me. So it's not like, again, I have, yeah. I have three players above him on my board still. I just didn't think they made as much, as much sense for Portland. Yeah. And I, for what it's worth, like I kind of agree on Steph castle, a guy that I really, really like, Yeah, uh, you know, modest would be an interesting one. I think that probably would have been my pick. I said, I think that I, I was assuming you would have said this is hundred percent modest over Dalton. I get it. I'm starting to question how much I believe in Modest's shooting, but again, like it just hasn't been good. And I'm like, how much sample? I know he was really good in high school, all of that. Like, I completely understand anybody who says Matis over Dalton in this situation. And age is a huge factor here, right? I also yep. give Dalton a little bit because of kind of the path he took. Like I played Juco myself. I'm sure his Juco coach was an amazing coach. Defense isn't something that's preached at a lot of JUCOs in this country. Again, I know the coach at Northern Colorado. It's it's he's a great guy. All of that. I'm just saying, like, 
I, his progression has happened a little bit slower for a fifth year, 22 year old in the SEC. He hasn't had five years of power five yeah. conference basketball, I guess is my point. Okay. Number eight, I am up with the Houston Rockets. <laughs> to me, fun. this is actually just kind of simple. I think you just take like best player available. Okay. Basically. Uh, it comes down to a few different names for me. Cause look like they're either going to use this pick or they're not going to use this pick, right? Like they could trade this pick very easily as they try and get into more of a, you know, leap forward window. They also have all of these young guys, right? Tari Eason, Jabari Smith. They still have Jalen green on the roster. Then you have Cam Whitmore, Amen Thompson, right? Shangun is still on his rookie deal. I think you just go with the best player available. To me, this one was kind of simple. It's just, you just take Steph Castle. Because uh, the idea is that there are some people who think Steph Castle can be like a bigger point guard. I'm yeah, not we're... quite there on okay. that. I wanted to ask you I, this. Yeah, I think he's more of like a secondary ball handler, like high level wing. I really like Steph Castle in that role. I think that his defensive ability, his ability to impact a contender right now as a freshman, since he's gotten back from injury has been fantastic. He continues to emerge into a greater role on what is the best team in the country right now. Like that's the craziest piece about this. Like he is ascending. Connecticut's already the best team in the country. He's ascending. They're going to get better and better uh, as he continues to ascend, as Donovan Klingon continues to get further and further from his injury. Like to me, like this team is like very clearly the favorite to win the title right now. And I love what he has brought on defense in terms of like doing an assignment, I think is the easiest way to put it. Like you ask him to run off of screens with Baylor Shireman. He went like two for 12 in that game against Creighton where he was running with Baylor Shireman and like had to shut him down. I thought he was fantastic in that game. Yeah. Uh, like I thought he was really, really good in that game at doing his job. You ask him to like play tough point of attack defense. He can do that against guards. I think he can pass and play make. I think he's comfortable using ball screens and driving into the paint. I have Steph Castle in the top five of my board right now. Okay. Uh, I really, really like Steph. Having said that, not a shooter. And it's hard to find roles for guys who are questionable shooters at this point. Castle is shooting two three-pointers a game, hitting 32% of them. But you look through the rest of it, averaging 11 points per game, 4.4 rebounds, 3.1 assists versus only 1.7 turnovers, which is a fantastic number for a freshman. Uh, you look over the course of this last little run in the Big East specifically, uh, his last 11 games, they have gone 11 and 0. He's averaging 13, 4.6, 3.3, only 1.8 turnovers, shooting 50, 39, 71 over that stretch. Uh, I, I've loved everything Steph Castle's brought to the table. Uh, this is this is an easy one for me. Yeah, it, the thing with Castle was I felt like he was actually one of these high school kids I was a little more familiar with um, early on. Like I, I watched some of his high school games and was you know tracking him and all of that. Even kind of before he blew up, like he was a little bit of a later top 10, 2023 high school guy and all of that. And I felt like the high school was a little bit of a question. Like 
I talked to some people like, will he bend? Will he get down in a stance? Will he really guard? I think he's been awesome defensively, Sam. Like, I, I think that's I been too. the most impressive thing. And like you said, I think Baylor Shireman is really good. I think I, I've, I got to see him in person uh, a few weeks ago. And I think he is a really good basketball player. And he is really hard to track in that Creighton offense, running off screens. He can pass. Uh, this isn't the Baylor Shireman part. Anyway, it, it was really impressive what he was able to do. I've watched him guard some other players in the Big East and do a great job. And I feel like the jumpers, like you could tell the confidence was gone there for a little while. He was like airballing yeah. shots and stuff like that. He's been able to find that again. I have definitely risen a little bit more on Stefan Castle. And I think this is, he he was number six on my board as uh So one spot where you would have him. Okay, let's go. Number nine, I believe you're up. Oh, I'm going back and forth on one right here. Um, I feel like this is a, really good landing spot for Matas, right? Like the Thunder love guys that dribble past shoots. I'm going, I'll just be straight up. I'm going between him and Jacoby Walter right now. Like those are the two guys that I'm debating between. I want to go Jacoby Walter. My thing right now is like Jacoby's actually like a shooter. That's not shooting it that great percentage wise. Mm -hmm. Matas isn't either though. I'm going to go Jacoby with the like, like Matas uh, with, with all due respect to Matas. Cause I think, I actually think Matas is the absolute best fit here. Like I think he just makes so much sense, but I'm going to stick a little bit here with Jacoby Walter for right now. Um, Cause I do believe in the kid, the Intel. I think he's an awesome, like, I think there was a quote of a bright, like he was a, I think uh, his coach, why am I slipping on his coach, his coach's name right now? Um, at Baylor. Uh, uh, Scott Drew. Scott Drew. I'm so sorry. Said, you know, Jacoby Walters, a five-star recruit with a zero-star ego. You know, like, I, I maybe I buy into that it's, stuff it's too. It's such a Scott Drewism. I know. And so, <laughs> uh, but, I, feel, I, I, like, I really like Scott. Like, that's, it's a Scott Drewism for sure. And I just, I buy into that stuff. And maybe it's silly, but like, as a former player, as a former coach, like, I just, I enjoy that stuff. There is talent behind it though as well. Like that's where I think it matters. So everything I've heard about this kid, again, going back to Link is how great of a kid he is, his family, all of those things. I think he's a worker. I do think he can shoot, but he's shooting 34% from three right now. I do think he has some variety in those shots and, and I think he can defend. Like it's a little bit of a mix, mixed bag at times, but I think he's a guy that can guard. Right now, I'm going to stick with Jacoby Walter with the understanding that Matas, I would understand a lot of people who would say, hey, Matas Bazelis is like the no-brainer fit for what the Thunder do. Yeah, I think that they would probably take Matas. Yeah. I, I understand taking Jacoby here. I think they wouldn't take Jacoby with like Lou, Kaysen, all those guys kind of there right now. But I, sure. get, your, I get your point here. Uh, I don't know. Every time I watch Jacoby, like, I love it. I respect it. I respect like the fact that he like fits into a scheme. I, I just struggle a little bit with what is the ultimate role in the NBA? Like, cause I don't know if he's going to be quite a shot creator. Yeah. I don't know if he's been good enough defensively to like point to a three and D spot. I'm still just struggling. Like what is exactly the role? And it's like, probably just like unselfish connector who, you know, had a great game like for instance on saturday like rebounding the ball against kansas like did all of the little things i thought well uh defensively it's still 
hit or miss from time to time, but I thought that was actually one of his better ones, to be honest. Uh, just question here in general, and we're sidetracking. Did you think he or Johnny, did you watch the Baylor Kansas game yet? I, I, I was in and out. We had, uh, we had gone to church and then we had people over and my parents showed up and like, I had it paused and I turned it on and it was like very sporadic. Like I, I, I caught it as a casual fan, not as a scout. So like, I, I can't give like deep yeah. insight into it. While I was watching it, like if you look at the box score, like Jacoby Walter had a better game than Johnny Furphy, like yeah. for sure. As I was watching it, I was like, are we sure that Jacoby Walter is a better prospect than Johnny Furphy? Sure. And I have them very close on my board and we will uh, talk about this as we go. But uh, I like Jacoby Walter. I think he's probably going to go somewhere in the top 15. Uh, I think this is a reasonable pick uh, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. Right. Cause we yep. need to move forward a little yeah. bit. I I've noticed that you've been moving me along this episode and I'm like, Oh, I need to like condense this stuff down and shut up a little bit. <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> Uh, okay. The Atlanta Hawks are up at 10. End of the day, I think Atlanta just needs more young talent. Uh, their guys moving forward, it seems like, are Trey Young, maybe DeJounte Murray, uh, maybe, maybe DeAndre Hunter, uh, maybe Sadiq Bay, maybe Sadiq Bay. Uh, certainly like a hundred percent, definitely Jalen Johnson and a Kong Wu, right? A Kong Wu signed this extension. You'd think he'll be there. I think this is a modest spot. You can make the case that he's a good fit next to Jalen Johnson. If you buy into him being able to play up and down in transition, be a high level athlete, six foot nine playmaker who can also shoot. I think that this is where we go with Modest Bazellus, number 10. I probably would have taken him at nine. And then I think I would have taken him at seven as well, to be honest. I probably would not have taken him at eight. But Modest has had an interesting season uh, in, a, in a lot of ways for the Ignite. Because the more I watch him, I like come away concerned about the on ball defense, but really liking the oh, off yeah. ball, like rim protection stuff. I think that like, there's a lot of like transition capability and like ability to like get up and down and potentially like attack driving lanes. Once he gets out of this ca catastrophically spaced ignite program, but then I don't know. Like, I feel like he doesn't have like a phenomenal first step. The handle is super loose. It feels like, and like, what if, what if the shot doesn't come? But I think you just kind of roll with it because these six foot nine archetype big wings are so valuable. Like if they hit, they're just worth their weight in gold at the end of the day. And if you're Atlanta kind of looking at what's on the board, you could look at some of the bigs, you could look at Johnny Furphy. You could look at, you know, you could go all defense and just take Ryan Dunn here. Like I really thought about that momentarily, but I think that at the end of the day, you swing for the upside here with Modest and see if it works. Yeah, I like, I mean, we've talked about archetype, right? And he's an archetype that you love. And what you said about his defense is exactly how I feel about his defense. Like, I think on ball, it's going to be a struggle, but I've really liked some of the off ball stuff, rotation, yeah. potential low man. 
I don't want to completely like sell on the jumper because he shot it really well at sunrise. And so like, I don't yeah, want did. to just, I, I don't want to just say like, oh, he's a questionable shooter. If you would have asked me six months ago who the best shooter in the class was going to be, I may have told you Matas Sabellis, you know, Matas Bazelis, but it just, it hasn't carried over thus far. Um, but there's a lot of skill there. I watched some games. I'm like, okay, I really kind of like some of the overall skill and talent on the offensive end. So I, I think this is very fair. Again, I have him in this range. I have quite a few guys kind of in this tier. He's definitely one of them. So um, I, again, if, if you would have had seven and taken him there, I wouldn't have argued. If you would have had nine and taken him there, I wouldn't have argued. I definitely don't have any qualms with taking him where you did. Bazelis is averaging 12.6 points, shooting 46, 26, 67 from uh, the field, three and from the line so far. Six rebounds, 1.7 assists, also 1.6 blocks. He's been really good. Is that weak side rim protector so far? Uh, okay. You're up. Number 11. The Chicago Bucks. Bulls. Um, listen, I, I, I don't know what the Chicago Bulls want or need. Um, I, I'm struggling. Talent. Struggle talent. Um, like lo long-term talent. That's what they need. I, I'm just going to take the guy that's the highest up left on my board right now. I don't know if it's a great fit or makes sense or whatever. And I know this guy's offensive questions are real. And I've had people crush me for like, hey, he's not a lottery pick because what does he do offensively? And then like, I just finally put my notes. Like, I just don't kind of care because the defense is insane. So I'm going to take Ryan Dunn here. Um, I don't know if it makes sense or not for that roster and where they're going, but I don't know what that roster is and where it's going in general. And so I'm going to take a special special defensive talent in Ryan Dunn and hope that I can figure out what he can do offensively. And this is a guy here. Here's what I love about Ryan Dunn. He is a solid defender along with a playmaking defender. And a lot of time guys are one or the other, like they're kind of team defenders that are in the right spots, position defenders, whatever cliche you want to use. Or we're like, Oh yeah, they really make plays and disruptive, but they're kind of out of position and those type of things. You know, watch the game recently and it was Ryan Dunn just did this. Ryan Dunn just did that. Ryan Dunn has his imprint all over that possession. At the end of the day, in this draft, I'm going to take a bet on this guy right now with how I feel about guys and just kind of fall in love with that defense and hope I can figure out an offensive role for him. And so I'll take Ryan Dunn here at 11. So Ryan Dunn, six foot eight wing forward kind of hybrid type at Virginia 9.7 rebounds also averaging 1.5 steals 2.1 blocks per game uh if anybody votes for defensive player of the year and you do not vote for Ryan Dunn you are wrong <laughs> across college basketball I am telling like I get it that Reese Beekman is like a really good defender on that team I get it that there are other great defenders across college basketball I am telling you as somebody that like scouts these games and like knows what I'm looking at. If you vote for anybody other than Ryan Dunn as the national defensive player of the year, you are wrong. Point blank. This guy is capable of literally everything on the defensive side of the court. I am not sure I've ever scouted a better defensive wing point blank. Uh, and that this comes from somebody I had Herb Jones as a first round pick. Uh, in that draft, because I thought his defense was as outstanding as could possibly be. 
Ryan Dunn is an elite weak side rim protector. He is fantastic running like switchable pick and roll coverages. If you have to, like if they end up getting caught in some way, he can switch. He can switch off the ball. They run that goofy ass, like hard hedge defensive scheme. He is elite at running that scheme. He is constantly in passing lanes. He is constantly making his presence felt across that way. He is a shutdown on ball defender against wings. He is a shutdown like defender on the block against guys like Tyree Samuel at Florida, who they had him guard. Like there is nobody who is as complete as a defender in college basketball right now as Ryan Dunn. And I think he could legitimately enter the NBA and be an elite defender, maybe like by year two in the NBA, even like it might take him a year. It might take them like more time than that to get on the court because the offense, who buddy, are there questions? <laughs> yep, sure. But man, is Ryan Dunn good? Ryan Dunn is an awesome, awesome defender, and I love, love watching him play. Uh, offensively, he's gonna have to shoot it. That's really what it comes down to. He shot before he had his growth spurt. Since the growth spurt, he, you know, I think grew, I think like probably 12 inches. No, not 12, probably like six or seven eight inches or so over like a four or five year stretch so i think that there could be some still adjusting to his body stuff there he did make shots previously but the shot does not look good right now like we just need to be transparent about that because of that i have ryan done a little bit lower on my board despite the fact that i love him on defense that much but like this is a multi-year offensive project if you take him but he might be so good on defense that you can just get him on the court from day one and he'll make an impact. Yeah. Like I said, like there, there's just, there's no denying that you have to figure it out offensively. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about it and I'm like, well, what if you just play him with the stretch five and he kind of ends up then playing the true big stuff because he is athletic and can play finish and dunker spot. And and their counter was, well, then you take away the advantage that a stretch five gives you because they'll just kind of change those matchups. And like, Okay, that makes sense. I get it. So, like, I I started to move him down my board, and then again, I'm just like, I like the defense a lot. I think he can really, really defend. You laid it all out there. I'm I'm willing to take a chance on it and hope that you can find a role for him offensively. Like you said, uh, I think there was some high school where like stuff where he actually shot it pretty decent, and so I was like, do you can you bring that back at all? And, and, you know, Virginia's offense is a little weird. And, like, I've always thought this. Listen, my old assistant coach is the associate head coach at Virginia. Like, I love him to death, and I love their success. I would struggle to play in that offense just because it's so structured and kind of routine that I would I would always be questioning where my shots came from type of thing. Now, some people thrive in it. So it's like, okay, maybe he isn't being asked to do a whole lot offensively. Or maybe, you know, he doesn't know where his shots come from and stuff like that. So, Maybe he figures it out once he gets into a more free-flowing game like the NBA. But again, the bet is defensively and that he figures out something on offense. I'm up now with the Oklahoma City uh, Thunder at 12 via the Utah Jazz. Jacoby Walter was taken earlier. Yeah, and that's kind of making me wonder about, like, do I take their actual archetype, which is like big, you know, dribble pass shoot guy? I'm also wondering if this is the year where they like kind of look to shore up the interior and maybe get like your big compliment next to a Chet Holmgren that can play next to Chet or that can potentially just like be the backup behind Chet. 
And this is the range where these guys start to fall. Kyle Filipowski, Donovan Klingon, Eve Missy. Uh, you know, there are also people who like Tijon Saloon. There are guys that like Johnny Furphy. It's an interesting area. I am going to go big and I am going to go Kyle Filipowski. This is not the big I would take for every team. I am going to take it for them, though, because he fits their archetype of liking guys across the board who can dribble past you. That is their almost like biggest thing that they look for in players. And if you can get a guy that's seven foot tall and can dribble past shoot in Filipowski, it feels like a really good fit for them in terms of what their structure is. Like, I wonder if you could play Filipowski and Chet together in some way, shape or form. Filipowski's tough. He's physical. He's willing to be aggressive. Seven foot tall center at Duke uh, has been certainly like all American quality this season i think there's you know every case that he'll end up on one of those teams currently averaging 17 points eight rebounds three assists per game shooting 50 36 65 from the field the shooting jump has been critical in my opinion yep. the fact that he's a 36 percent three-point shooter like i feel pretty good about that now uh consistently grabs rebounds real passer and playmaker uh, the passing this year has really jumped off for me, yeah. like where he's making reads, he's making plays, he's consistently finding different options. And again, for Oklahoma City, they want guys who can keep driving lanes open for their players in the front court. There's a reason that they used Darius Baisley, uh, Isaiah Roby, guys like that at the center position for a long, long time until they got Chet, right? I wonder if they would look at it to take an advantage of finding an opportunity to find somebody that's seven foot tall that can do a lot of these things and can play as like your center, your backup center of the future. Yeah, I think you talking about uh, Flip and his passing, I think that's really stood out to me. The shooting percentage is like just right there on the brink, I feel like, from three-point. like some guy, But I think the jumper looks real. Like I think he has a good jumper. He probably moves a little bit better than what I would guess people would assume defensively and you know what he can do in ball screens, those type of things. So I like Flip. I think he makes a lot of sense here. He gives you a little bit more size. Like – Kelly Olenek is a guy that I'm not saying it's one-to-one, -one, but like if you ask me for an archetype of player, the type of role that he could fill in the NBA, and we talked about it, the deadline, OKC trading for Kelly Olenek. Like we thought that that could make a lot of sense. So then getting yeah. him in the draft here, you know, obviously makes a lot of sense because they didn't go get anybody else in that role. So I think Filipowski is really good. I have him in this range, and I think this is really nice fit with Oklahoma City. I mean, okay. I considered him where I was at. I just thought it was a little too rich. Yeah. You're up at number 13. Yeah. So at number 13, we have the Blazers. I'm going to stay on the wing still. I thought about like, hey, would they think about going backup center here? Right? Like you brought up some of those names. Do you just at 13, is that the time to take Donovan Klingon? And now he plays behind DeAndre Ayton or if, you know, eventually you want to move on from Ayton and Misi and some of those guys. I didn't do that. Again, I think I'm going to stick with a guy that's a little higher than – I'm going to take him a little higher than what's on your board. That seems to be the theme with you and I right now. I'm going to take Saloon. Uh, just a rangy wing forward yeah. that now you kind of get the opposite of Dalton Connect. 
with this. So, you know, I went with Connect earlier, the, the big time scorer, all of that older player. Now I'm going to take Saloon, who doesn't turn 19 until August. So, again, a guy that will be playing Summer League at 18. The jumper is, you know, a little bit of a question, just 36% from three, but almost 80% from the free throw line this year. It's a little bit mechanical, but I've watched games where he shot it well. He's a true off the ball player, not much of a, of a creator, doesn't do like, doesn't have as much as like Risa Shea. That's why Risa Shea is much higher. I think Saloon is really good defensively, like understanding rotations and those types of things. And I think he plays with a real intensity, like upper all uppercase with some curse words here about the intensity he plays with on that end of the floor. I like that he plays hard. I don't know that he's good on defense yet, is where I'm at. Uh, I think he's like a little bit stiffer than what people think. I would like agree. Movement wise. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He gets credit as being this like big time athlete and he can really leap. And I think he has like a first step, but it's a little bit stiffer. Like it, I, it's like, I would agree. It's like, I think that's fair. Michael Porter junior movement ish now, but like not quite as fluid. I, I don't know. It's like complicated. Uh, I, I'm going to reserve thought on him. For now. So Saloon for people who don't know, currently playing for Cholet over in France. Uh, they play basketball champions league. He's been much better in the basketball champions league than he's been in the French league so far. All told he's played 36 games this season, shooting 42% from the field, 36% from three, 80% from the free throw line, three rebounds per game, not really passing much, but does get steals doesn't really block shots. It's an interesting profile of player. I like the way he goes about it in terms of the intensity. I really wonder about the feel for the game when sure. I watch him, I think is what I would say. Um, okay. I, I'm not totally sure on that. I'm still evaluating that piece of it for him. I think it's been better recently though. I thought early on it was like, Oh, this is like almost like a non-starter for me is like a lottery pick or is like a top 20 guy even, but the more I watch it, the more I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe this is fine. Yeah. And he was another, I've said this about Risa Shea, like Saloon is a guy, when I first turned it on, I wasn't a huge fan. I was like, like first yeah. round that like, no, no, no. And then I watch more and I, I, I do need to round back into some of these international guys. I spent a lot of time on them early and now my focus has been a little bit more on college guys. Um, so I need to round back in and see as you know, their seasons have progressed, how much more they've progressed. Um, but yeah, I like a lot of the things he brings, and I'm interested to see what I'll think whenever I get back into some more film. Especially the, the film thing will be interesting, and kind of the the rigidness which which he moves, and like the the fluid lack of fluidity at times. Okay, I'm going Rob Dillingham at 14 to the Pelicans. Dillingham is a uh, he's in the middle of like we're we're having like a Dillingham discourse moment. It feels yeah. like right now because he played 18 minutes against Gonzaga. And people like Kentucky fans and draft people are like, like melted down. I'm here to tell you guys. It was the right call by Cal. It truly was the right call by John Calipari. Gonzaga attacked him relentlessly. Every time he was in that game, if you watch, they were running ball screen after ball screen after ball screen involving his man. Like it was not necessarily always, you know, the same guy that they were running them through. Kentucky would try and play him on different players. They would run through his guy every time. He struggled. It was hard to keep him on the court. 
that's not to say he's not a great player. I'm taking him with a lottery selection here. His speed, his touch, that combination is utterly fantastic. He is so, so skilled as a point guard, as a shot creator, as a playmaker. I am such a fan of watching him on offense. I, I think he is one of the probably three or four best players in this draft offensively. Yeah. May, honestly, there's a case he might be the best player in this yeah. draft offensively. Sure. I, I would hear that case out. He's also, what do we want to call it? Six, one and a half, maybe? Maybe. Uh, I know he's listed at six, three. Again, I'm interested to see what those Kentucky measurements come back as. Uh, listed at 175, doesn't really look 175 to me, right? I think he's probably the worst defender in this class right now. Uh, when I watch him, I feel like teams relentlessly attack him, uh, be it off the ball, be it on the ball. Like Gonzaga early in that game would just run screens at his guy. Gonzaga late in that game, I swear to God, Bryce, there is a point in that Gonzaga game. I think it was like right after Gonzaga went down like six, eight points, something like that in the second half. They ran the same exact set. I think it was like 12 straight times down the court. And I think they scored almost every time where they'd run like a ball screen. They'd have a man in the weak side corner and nobody on the weak side wing. And they just have the weak side corner uh, lift to the wing and then have the big roll to the basket. And Kentucky had no idea how to guard and how to tag the big as he was like going to the basket with that weak side lift. And they just missed it every single time. They missed it every single time, Bryce. <laughs> it was fucking crazy. I was losing my mind sitting there. I was like, just tag him. Just, just tag him. Leave him open for three. Seriously, like scramble around. Just tag the big. They're going to the big every time. <laughs> I was losing my mind watching this game. And it's just like, man, figure it out, John. Yeah. <laughs> like, figure out somebody who can guard. And I get it. Like, they have a lot of young guys and everything like that. But, and like, people were like, yeah, but like Trey Mitchell was out in that game. It's like, Trey Mitchell's bad on defense, too, guys. <laughs> like, I don't think Trey Mitchell's making an impact there. Uh, yeah. But Rob was a big piece of that. I, I thought it was really hard to have Rob Dillingham on the court in that game. Uh, He's an unbelievable offensive player, though. He's an unbelievable offensive player. The speed with which he plays, the ability to make decisions at speed. Uh, you look at the numbers right now. Uh, I mean, he's been fantastic the whole year. Currently averaging 15 points, three rebounds, four assists, only 1.8 turnovers, 48% uh, from the field, 44% from three, 75 from the line. Like, if not for Reed Shepard, we'd be talking about Rob Dillingham as like the best shooter in this class probably. Right. And yeah. I think there's a case for Rob as it is. So all, everything on offense, I'm a big believer in Rob. And I think the Pelicans could use somebody like this, uh, like just like a fire starter off the bench early in his career, but it's going to take a lot of time for Rob on defense. Yeah. I mean, the offense is, is so much fun. And then it's like, you want to just like skyrocket him up the board, right? Because that is amazing. And then you have yeah. to get reminded he's six foot one. 
this is the NBA. He only weighs 100, you know, all of those things. Um, but at a certain point, it's like you just buy into this and you see what the kid can do and you buy into the offense. And, you know, what if he just you know, he comes off the bench and he lights it up, you know, off the bench? Like we're getting to the point now in this first round where I would assume something like that would be valuable. Um, I'm up with Miami. I believe you're up with Miami. That's right. 15. I have three players left in this tier for me. I, I think any one of the three would make sense. I think I want to go a big here. I'm I'm still trying to like hash out. Do I think like the, this type of big fits for Miami, but I just kind of looking at their roster. I'm like, who's playing the center positions behind bam. Like I know it's Kevin love right now. Like they have Thomas Bryant. He has a player option next year. Love has a player. I'm just going to go with Donovan clean here at 15 to the heat. Um, like again, like this is right about where he's at on my board. I still have some questions with Klingon in terms of like how many minutes can this guy play? Like we haven't seen him play, but I think a couple games where he played 30 plus minutes, a bunch of games under 20 minutes, but he is a large dude that can move a little bit. I want to continue to see stuff in screen and roll and finishing and all of those type of things. And I just wonder if he could go to a team like Miami and give them 15, 18 minutes a night behind Bam, catch lobs, play drop coverage, all of those things for them. And so I'll take uh, Kling in here at 15. I get it. This is not what I would have done, which is fine. Uh, my pick here would have been pretty obviously. I think I would have just taken Collier. So that like was, yeah, that was one of the other names. Yeah, like if I'm them, like I really just want to go for it. So Donovan Clegan has dealt with injuries this season. Uh, it really has, you know, it's been stop start. But in the 19 games he's played, 12 points, 6.4 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 2.1 blocks per game, only playing 20 and a half minutes per game. It's the defensive impact. I mean, you watch these games with Connecticut. If he's on the court, teams can't score. Like teams cannot score on them uh they especially can't score on the interior but like th this is like a walker kessler type of defensive player i will say i'm very interested to see what the injury checks come sure back with, yeah yeah with that, foot stuff that's that a great point with this season um could end up going lower than this could end up going higher than this we'll see here's but, the thing though uh, like i i walked you right into a perfect fit with 16 now i did or you did yeah, I mean, I'm going to take Johnny Furphy here. Uh, is this who you thought I was taking? No, that wasn't. I, I actually thought the name you just said was a nice fit. Collier? They have like 45 point guards. Yeah, but are any of them good? I think Jalen Suggs is good. No, I yeah, think but, that, but like, like we've I talked don't think about they're going to take. I don't think they take another like non-shooter point guard. That's true. Uh, we talked about the meeting floor spacing in the backcourt with shooting. Yeah. And like Cole, the thing is like Cole Anthony is definitely a good backup point guard. Like say whatever you want about Cole, say whatever you want about like his game in general, but like Cole is an awesome backup point guard to have. They're hoping that like, you know, Anthony black can rise into being, you know, the starting point guard. Hopefully I don't think they take black and Collier in like back-to-back -back drafts. True, necessarily. True. No, you're, that's, um, you're right. That's fair. So I went Johnny Furphy uh, out of Kansas. Furphy has been utterly elite over the course of the last I don't know. What do you want to call it? Like eight games? I'm yeah, I think that's about now. what it is. I think it's eight. I think that's exactly right. So you look at his last eight games. Furphy for Kansas is averaging 
13.6 points, 6.8 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.1 steals, shooting 56% from the field, 41% from three on five three-point attempts per game, 77% from the line. That's a 70.6 true shooting percentage. Got to the line a bunch against Baylor, I thought. Uh, defensively, there are going to be real questions, but my goodness, is he a fantastic athlete who can get out on the break? He is a guy that I think will learn to defend in time. He wants to defend like the effort and anticipation and energy is there, especially on off ball situations. It's just on the ball. Like he has no idea how to close out right now. He stands like a little bit high in his stance. I think he's still like a little bit weaker. He had a growth spurt like later uh, where he grew a couple inches. So like, I think that he's still grown into like his lower half a little bit, but uh, Furphy uh, is, uh, I think he's like a real guy in the top 20 right now. Yeah, he's a really good player. He can shoot it. He's athletic. Every time I watch a game with people, they're like, man, that, that kid looks young. Like, you know, people who aren't even in this world. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's why people are excited because you can tell like there's some real like maturity and growth and strength and all of that stuff that's going to come. And I think we've talked about this. Like he wants to be good defensively, even if it's not quite there yet. Like you, you can tell he wants to defend. I think he'll figure it out and he'll continue to grow on that end. So that's, that, that, that's that's a really good selection there with Furphy. It, it, again, like a guy who, I mean, what, Sam? Before eight games ago, he was barely, like he was playing, but it wasn't a lot. And at the beginning of the year, he was almost not playing at all. Like, that's what I'm talking about. We, yeah. there's, there's, there's still some guys that may, may emerge as we go over the next couple months in the same way Furphy has over the last, what what would this be, three weeks or so? Yep, I think that's right. Uh, Furphy, six foot nine wing uh athlete basically at kansas right now uh for people who are looking to watch tape uh number 17 you are up now like listen isaiah collier is the best player on my board and he has been and i think not taking him at 15 for miami where you're right does make sense i still don't like i still don't mind the clinging pick there has put this him in a interesting spot yeah I, I don't think he makes sense in Toronto is my issue here. Like, are they going to play a six? I don't three, either. A six, three, six, four point guard. Like, I don't think that makes sense. Not as much as Scotty handles it. You have quickly. I'm actually going to go Tyler Smith here. Like you talked earlier about putting shooting on this roster around these guys. Um, obviously he's not going to come in and start, but you know, bring him off the bench as a four, depending on what you do with Kelly Olinick. We talked about that earlier. I think we drafted Alex Sar. Maybe that's a little too many bigs at this point, but I think he's, you know, they play him at the five a lot with the ignite. When I watch, I, I think he hopefully will be able to play the four in the NBA. The jumper has been, it's something I believe in. Like he's, he's a lefty floor spacing. I think a four man, um, that I think he can really shoot it. Even if the numbers don't just pop off at you, what I've liked recently is some of the defensive playmaking has gotten better. You've seen him block some shots and get some steals and those type of things. The defense does still have a long ways to go. Like there, there's some, there's some real growth there, but I think for me, he's probably the most like prototypical four man that I have here. And so I'm going to go with Tyler Smith here and, and just give some more floor spacing to the Raptors. Shooting and athleticism. That's fine. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's a completely reasonable pick. Uh, I might have, this might be my spot for Keyshawn George. Like, take sure. a flyer okay. on like yeah, yeah. super upside if you're Toronto, but I don't 
know if that would be like a consensus pick necessarily. Uh, next up uh, is the Knicks, and I am going to take Isaiah Collier. Love it. Love uh, it. They need a, another guard uh, who can be like a playmaker off the bench, right? You can have Miles Bridges, uh, or not Miles Bridges, my God. You can have Miles McBride, a.k.a. Deuce McBride, uh, defending and knocking down shots and causing havoc and everything. I still think they need one more guy who can be like a real playmaker in the backcourt. This would be a fall for Collier for sure yeah i think that like this is somewhat plausible uh collier you know six foot listed at six five i don't think he's six foot five um i'm gonna say like six three and a half are we yeah. gonna call him like that's where like i would that. that's where i would land yeah 16 points three rebounds four assists 49 percent from the field 33 percent from three 66% from the line missed some time with what I remember as like a broken hand or a broken wrist. Yeah. Uh, just came back after a month on the bench. I really like the aggressiveness and the toughness against Cal. Read uh, off the free four... throw attempts. The last two games. Did you see his free throw attempts? The last two games I have uh, went four for 13 in that Cal game, but got to the line 16 yes. times. And then against Stanford and look, this Stanford game was a, blowout from game from moment one uh stanford came out and just blew usc's doors off it was not like a real basketball game uh after a certain point he got to the line 15 times in that game uh collier is a power power athlete who can really get to the line i think he probably goes higher than this at the end of the day and i think he probably goes really really close to that top 10 mark like if he keeps doing this where he just like completely you know blows up and is capable of getting the line in the way he is uh it's going to be hard to deny him i really considered him with that pelicans pick uh i ended up taking dillingham with it's just like the thunder you probably can't take them the hawks they have trey young the rockets like at eight i think that's like a real distinct outcome it's just that i have steph castle higher on my board um but yeah, Collier is a real dude and like falling to 18, I think would be honestly kind of a blessing for him to end up in New York if it did, but, um, nonetheless, okay. You're up sons. Yeah. I mean, I think again, this is why it's fun to do this, to find out like what teams need, like how could a player fall if, you know, somebody one or two teams skip over, like, right. Like maybe I go a little bit rogue with Miami at 15 and take Klingon yep. and it's like, Oh, well, if Miami truly and did that, Hand up, frankly, I probably went a little bit rogue taking Furphy. Yeah, and so like a couple teams do that, which we know truly happens. And then that's why, you know, guys, for the record, I do have Collier higher than this on my board. Again, it's just kind of the way things fall. So I'm at 19 with the Suns. The next two guys on my board are actually two older players, which I think makes sense for the Suns, right? Like guys yep. that can hopefully come in and play right away. They're different positions. So I'm trying to hash that out whether I would give them a big or like a wing. I'm going to go with the guy that I just think is really good at basketball. And people are going to question him because he's played at three different schools in three different years. And his, you know, his team's not that great. And what, like, I think Jalen Tyson is really, really good. And I'm not saying he's the same player that Jaime Hawkes is at all. I'm just saying I could see him going to a team like this to the Suns and going in and having an immediate impact. So I'm going to take Jalen Tyson right here. Again, like he's this really powerful wing that can long, long uh, got a little bit of athleticism, can play through contact. 
Um, the shooting numbers is what keeps me this high on Jalen Tyson because I've had people push back and I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe he's not as good as I thought, but he's shooting. I'm trying to pull up the numbers here from three uh, this yeah, so he's year. He's at 37% on five three attempts per game, basically. And I, was, I will note, like over his last, I think it's like six games here, he's shooting 35% from three. So it's been like a little bit of a drop, but like he's, you know, he, he's figuring it out. And he's 40% at Texas Tech last year on three and a half attempts a game, career 77% from the free throw line. He offensive rebounds. I think he's okay defensively. I don't think he's great. Again, he's not like, he kind of plays like the primary creator for them. I don't think that's what his role in the NBA is going to be. I just like the strong physical driver that he is. I think his game can translate to a team that needs him. And again, if he shoots it good enough, which we have numbers and sample size that says he might, then I think he's a, a good quality NBA wing that is able to play, quote unquote, right away as a 20-year-old, three years in college, all of that. Yeah, slow developing jumper is what I would sure. say is the only thing that worries me. Those yeah. guys that have like slower releases, I think they can take a minute to adjust, but I love the power driving game. Uh, I love his creativity off the bounce. I think that, you know, he has like an even assist to turnover rate right now, but I don't think he plays selfishly. No. Uh, I think he's just tasked with a lot on yep. his shoulders. And then Agreed. he's playing with guys at Cal that like, uh, kind of like blow assists for him like a decent amount of the time. So yeah, yeah I think this is a fine pick. Jalen Tyson averaging 20.1 points, seven and a half rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.3 steals, shooting 49, 37, 79. Uh, in the Pac-12 right now, Cal, this is, to me, this is a top 20 pick. Uh, yeah, and, but, and I, yeah. Just, I think he can play off the ball as well. Like I've seen enough sample of him cutting at the right time, offensive boards, those type of things that I think, which is going to be his role. I think he can do those things as well. Okay. Pelicans now at 20. And this is, this just worked out really well for me because I was kind of debating taking a big at 14 to replace potentially Jonas Valanciunas leaving this summer. But I was able to take the guard and now end up with Eve Missy falling to me at 20. Uh, we're going to go Eve Missy out of Baylor. Uh, big seven foot center, seven foot five wingspan. Had a fantastic game on Saturday against Kansas. My goodness. I think he had like 21 and seven or something averaging 11 points, six rebounds, doesn't pass the ball. Well, doesn't see the court. Well, can't really dribble yet, but like your typical rim runner, low usage center can really, really block shots averaging 1.7 blocks in 22 minutes per night. Uh, moves really well in terms of short area quickness. I, I love what Eve Missy uh, has potential to be at the next level, even if it's not quite there yet. And it's still going to take him some time developmentally. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is a really nice range for him. Um, I think he has the talent and the potential to, you know, be better than some of the guys we've drafted, but this is, I have him number 20 on my board. So this is right in the range where I have him super explosive off the floor. Like you said, he had a big game on Saturday at Kansas. So again, this is where I was really interested to do this. How many of these bigs can we get drafted? And we have, you know, we've drafted Klingon, Filipowski. Now we've drafted Misi. Like, I'm interested to see how many more we get in the next, you know, 10 picks. So uh, I I'm with it 100% here. 
Okay, you are up at 21, Bryce. Who who did who did you take for the Hawks earlier? I was looking for that. You took Matos. I took Matos. That is correct. So you've already taken a big, or excuse me, a wing. Where do I want to go for the Hawks? All right, well then, I'm just going to kind of stay with my board here then. I'm going to assume that Clint Capella is not on this roster um, at the start of next year. They go with Onyeka Okongwu starting, and I'm going to take a player that I just love, another field guy that just is good at basketball. I'm going to take Oso Igadaro here. I, I think Oso yep. is a really good player. I think if you told me they're going to move Onyeka Okongwu into the starting lineup and they're going to need a backup big, I think Oso can come in and do that. Talk about a guy that can play out at double teams when teams double Trey Young. Throw the ball to Oso Iguodaro. He can hit it. He can't shoot, but Oso has a real nice floater in these situations. He can pass. I think he can protect the rim a little bit. I think he can move his feet defensively, give you some ball screen coverages. I think this ends up being a really nice fit for the Hawks, assuming, right? Like I'm, I'm assuming some stuff here, assuming they do move on from Clint Capella this summer, go with Unkongwu, and then now Oso can have those backup five minutes. Yeah, so Oso Iguodaro, 6'11 big, uh, out of Marquette, 14.7 rebounds, three assists per game. Uh, what I've really liked about Oso recently is the thing that we talked about early in the season is toughness with him and like willingness to play yeah. physically. Uh, he's been much better on the glass recently. He's been much better uh, playing through contact recently, being aggressive, uh, being physical. So the fact that he's been able to do that, I think, uh, makes me quite happy. This is right around where I have Oso as well. Uh, I'm up now with the 76ers. I am going to go. I think this is where we just start taking guys that like maybe just can play basketball at a high level, right? Yep. Sure. I am going to go Devin Carter here. I love it. For the 76ers. He's good at basketball, man. Devin Carter, good at basketball. Uh, Devin Carter is a seven foot or six foot three guard, <laughs> not a seven foot guard, uh, six foot three guard out of Providence, extremely high level defender. Like, I think that I saw that like he didn't make the national top 15 for defensive player of the year. Like, is, what? is, is that possible? Uh, no. Naismith defensive player of the year as we Google, uh, but regardless, I'll, I'll find that as we look. He's also averaging 19 points, eight rebounds, 3.4 assists. His improved the jumper. He's making 38% of his 6.6 three-point attempts per game. I don't know what to believe on the jumper. It's a moon ball. It kind of takes him a minute <laughs> to really load into it. But it might work. Like, if it works, he's definitely an NBA player because he is an awesome, awesome defender. He's great as a team defender. He's great as a point-of-attack defender. I, I love everything that I've seen from Devin Carter on the defensive end this year. He did make the top 15 list. Thank okay. God. I didn't have to like set this entire list on fire uh, over the course of the next hour of this podcast. Uh, Cause I would have spent an hour talking about it. Uh, but Devin Carter, great defender, you know, potential to shoot it six foot three. I don't love defense first six foot three guards. So he's really going to have to shoot it yeah. and hopefully be able to play some point. This is the son of Anthony Carter, former NBA player as well. Uh, 
I do buy into him as a really good role player, rotation player. And the way that Daryl Morey talked about trading Jaden Springer at the deadline was they just felt like Jaden Springer is three years away, basically from being able to contribute. I think Devin Carter is actually probably a better basketball player than Jaden Springer is now. And has a better chance to contribute within the role that they want somebody like Jaden Springer to contribute within uh, on their team at some point reasonably soon. So I'm going Devin Carter here if they don't move this pick. Um, real quick, I'm actually a little surprised you would go Carter over Kolick. Um, I assume Kolick would be really close here. You, you Devin, just, Devin just a little better defensively. I mean, would yeah. that be the separator? Okay. Kolick's way better offensively. And I have them like very, very close. Kolick's been really shooting it. I think for the 76ers, I think that the defense uh, next to Tyrese Maxey works a little bit better. Okay, cool. I am up at 23 with the Knicks who we have not made. Oh no, you, we took Isaiah, you took Isaiah Collier for the Knicks. I, I will say here. If I knew exactly what was going to happen in terms of their big man situation, Mitchell Robinson, Hartenstein's a free agent, all of that. If I knew, this would be a spot for Deron Holmes for me. Um, I think Deron Holmes has been absolutely incredible, incredible recently. He he had a slowish start to the season and then has just gone crazy. I think he's really good defensively. He could you know, he's started to space the floor. We're going to get to Duran at some point. I'm okay. Sure. So let's, okay. Uh, let's that makes there. me feel better. Cause I kind of looked at all the odds and I'm like, uh, maybe, but uh, like, I think the Knicks should bring Isaiah Hartenstein back. So with yeah. that context, I also think Kevin McCuller could be more of like a quote unquote Tibbs guy here. But if yeah. I'm the Knicks, I would take Keyshawn George and just like a young kind of upside wing. I, for the record, I don't think the Knicks would do this. I would assume they probably would go with a guy like Kevin McCuller, depending on what they're going to do with Boyan and Burks and stuff like that. Um, I could absolutely see Kevin McCuller being this pick for them where he shot the ball a little bit better this year, a little bit more ready defensively. He's really good. I just like Keyshawn George's upside. Um, this may not be the right team for him in terms of kind of taking that swing on him, but like he is the best player on my board right now. And so I'll go Keyshawn George. Yeah, so we're going to remove the Virginia game where he played four minutes, and I think that he got hurt in that game. Just like, and that was a disaster for my like, like Larinaga essentially. I don't want to say stop coaching, but like his frustration level was a ten out of ten, big time. Yeah, he had like an ankle injury in that Virginia game and missed a lot of it. Uh, But in the prior twelve games, he's averaging eleven points. 4.4 4 rebounds, 2.6 assists versus only 2.2 turnovers, 45% from the field, 41% from three on six three-point attempts per game. A uh, little bit older, a uh, Swiss kid that uh, came over here. Uh, I think he's 20 years old already, but like it looks just like such an interesting high upside wing who can pass, who can shoot, who can make some plays with the ball in his hands. Th- this is This is a good pick. This is exactly who I would have taken for the Knicks as well. I get it that you know, might not fit their goal, but they might move this pick anyway. So yeah, for like, sure. You take best player available here. I think uh, I'm up with the bucks now, man. Do I wish I hadn't take taken Devin Carter uh, <laughs> at the last pick with the 76ers? Cause there are not many like super high end defender types uh, available at this point at 24. Now you are right. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm just looking at the guys in on my board left in this range, and yeah, hmm. interesting. So, I think what I'm just gonna do here, and I do wonder if they would end up moving this pick like after the draft or something. I think I'm just going to take best shooter available for this scheme, and I'm gonna take Jared McCain out of Duke. Like it, uh, Mc. Jared McCain is a little bit undersized, six foot three, six foot two, let's call him. Uh, but he's been just fantastic after a bit of a slow start for Duke. If you go from the Charlotte game on the 9th of December onward, uh, Jared McCain's averaging 15.4 points, shooting 48% from the field, 37% from three, 84% from the line, five rebounds, 1.1 steals. Uh, he's been a really, really high end offensive player for them and he fights he competes on defense like i am a fan of what he brings to the table on that end it's probably going to take a minute but uh the shooting ability is real i think that he knows how to attack closeouts like just plays a smart intelligent game knows how to relocate just a good basketball player yeah i like him in this range a lot in terms of the shooting it's it's a very compact shot and so it's, it's one i really buy in that i think can be extremely repeatable that you can get to over and over and you know he's had some like double digit rebounding games so he finds ways to be impactful even at his size so yeah i, I like this with with jared mccain especially like you say when you look at potential perimeter defenders and, and you know i go down my board and like I get a long ways before I can find another one of those, which again, this is why this is interesting. Cause it's like, okay, do you find someone sneak into this range simply because of that? So I'm now up at 25 with the thunder who have already taken Jacoby Walter, Kyle Filipowski. I'm going to take a player who I have no idea where people are at. His playing time in the NBA has gone up and down and one night it's 25 and one night it's 12 and like we've talked about like does he even stay in it or not and for the record like i assume thunder aren't going to end up taking all three of these picks but i think if this guy is going to be successful i think that he maybe could do it here because i think he's one of the best off ball cutters in the draft and that's bobby clintman um yeah he's a guy that picked up a lot of steam at the end of last year at wake forest went on a really good shooting stretch. Like I think his last, I don't know how many games it was, was like over 40%. Ended up going to play in the NBL. Again, the numbers aren't going to wow you. If you look at the game by game stuff, you're going to be like, what's the deal here? I, I get it. Like I truly get it if people don't even have a first round grade on him. I, I really do. He's always been a guy that's kind of intrigued me as like a 6'9", 6'10", wing that theoretically can shoot. Again, I think he moves off the ball extremely well, which I think would fit with Oklahoma City. And then defensively, it's it's been okay. He has the size. Always have wanted a little bit more playmaking with him, but I'll go with Bobby Clintman right here. Playing for Karen's averaging 9.8 points, 4.9 rebounds, uh, you know, close to a steal, close to assists, you know, half of a block per game, shooting 44% from the field, 35% from three. Uh, has dealt with some injuries uh, over the second half of his season as well that I think have like kind of thrown off his rhythm a little bit. Uh, that team also really fell apart in the second half of the season over here in the NBL as well. So uh, I think he goes in the first round. I do. I think okay. there's a chance he goes higher than this as well. Um, I'm glad you took him at 25. He was probably next up on my board here as well. Um, 
yeah, just a really interesting high upside swing who can dribble pass shoot. And look, that's the thunder model. Dribble pass shoot with size uh, has some feel. And I, I think that it works at a really, really high level. Okay. Next up. You've taken Clintman. I am going to take Deron Holmes. I love it. Uh, for the Nuggets, because this is a team that needs a backup center, uh, point blank. They need a guy that can come in and play as a backup big in the NBA uh, behind Nikola Jokic. And what I like about Holmes has been, A, the production throughout the course of his season at Dayton. It's really picked up as you talked about when we were talking about the Knicks. But I like the athleticism. I like the passing. I like the shooting ability. I like the feel for the game that he displays uh, throughout, you know, just about everything that he does over his last 15 games, 21 and a half points, nine rebounds, 2.3 assists, 2.3 blocks, only 1.8 turnovers as a center, 57% from the field, 41% from three, 66% from the line, a little bit undersized is a big, probably like six foot 10, uh, doesn't have crazy length, but the Nuggets don't really care about that. They just want guys that they know know how to play basketball, I feel like. And because Zeke Naji just hasn't really ever been able to be like a true impact guy, I feel like every time I watch him, honestly, like I wonder if they try to use this summer to like get off of that contract that they signed him to at the beginning of the season. I think that Duran is like a perfect fit here for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been really impressed. And I've seen people like, oh, he's doing it in the A-10. We've seen people put up big numbers. You know, it's third year in college. And I, I just would encourage people, go watch the games and see some of the things he's doing this year. Off the bounce, the three-point yeah. shooting. I'm not saying... The passing and the shooting. Yeah, yeah like... like that's the big thing. And so it's like he truly has developed like an NBA game. It's not just he's posting these guys up in the A-10 and doing work that way. It's like it's it's a part of a game that's going to translate to the NBA. And then I think he's very good defensively as well. He moves pretty well. I would like to see him get some more offensive rebounds, especially like that would be a number I'd like to see uptick here over the last month or so of the season. But he's just been he's been incredible. And I think he would fit really nicely into a second unit role where he can pass the ball. He can step out and shoot it and keep floor spacing if, if teams don't want to guard him. And so I think this is a really nice landing spot for him. Um, so that's what, you know, like I say, whenever I didn't take him for the potentially for the Knicks as a backup, I, I felt like this was probably where you were going to take him. So I, I like that a lot. Okay, you are up right now at number 27, I believe we're up to. Yeah, we're at 27 with the Jazz and... I don't even know what to do here in terms of I don't necessarily want to draft a front court player. I don't think I want to draft a back court player. <sighs> um, this honestly would probably make more sense if I flipped. Where did I take Keyshawn George? Who did I take Keyshawn George for? Uh, the Knicks, right? That's um, right. Probably would make more sense if I would have taken McCuller there and Keyshawn George here, but I'm gonna take McCuller here um, at 20. Yeah, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take McCuller here at 27 for the Jazz. Um, he he is the the best player on my board right now. I think I guess they could use some wings again. I don't know what they're gonna end up doing in the backcourt. And to McCuller's credit, like he's gone back to school. He is a really really good wing defender. Had some of the better active and accurate hands that you're going to see and he shot the ball better i think he's a guy that has good feel can pass the ball a little bit 
So I will take Kevin McCuller here at 27 to the Jazz. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know if they would do this. Um, the, trying to I'll, figure out like what they do. It's interesting. I, but... I'll be honest. Like that's I'm struggling because I do have other guys, but I'm like, do they go backcourt with Keontae? Sexton has See, played. Th- this is this is where this area of the draft gets very difficult. Like I'm lucky I have an easy one, the next pick. But yeah. like this is where this area of the draft I think gets quite difficult to try and manage. So I don't blame you for this necessarily. Um I'll just go ahead and take the guy that I think is super easy here. The the super easy, like obvious pick to me is Tyler Kolak for the Cavs at number 28. Uh the Cavs have had backup point guard issues the whole season. Uh, they desperately need to find an answer there. Whether or not it's the long-term answer, we'll see. But Tyler Kolek would be a home run here if he gets to 28. Averaging 16 points, five rebounds, seven and a half assists, shooting 50, 40, 87. Bryce. He's shooting it. And on top of that, this dude just talks shit. Like, I, I love watching <laughs> Tyler Kolek. Like, just such a shit talker across the board. One of my favorite players to watch in the country. Over his last seven games, 20 points, 10 assists, 1.6 steals, 4.3 turnovers, shooting 53, 47, 77. Let's go, Kolek. Yeah, Kolek just knows how to play. Super high-level hooper. People might be surprised. You know, another guy that, you know, quote-unquote, doesn't look the part. Six foot two, you know, not a crazy athlete. I think he's going in the first round. Like, I feel pretty confident that he'll end up there. All right. Uh, listen, I, I will say like I came into the year, not a huge Colic guy was like maybe a second round guy and he isn't quite into my top 30, but he is really, really close. And like, that's just me kind of being stubborn with it a little bit. And, and I think one of the biggest things is that the jump, like he shot the ball really well. And, and I think yep. that that's, that's been a huge development. Yep. You are up at 29 for the Timberwolves. <sighs> um, Again, I kind of want to go wing, but I, this is where I got to go find some wings, I guess. This, this is maybe my biggest takeaway here. Into the first, top of the second, got to find some wings that I really want, like. Um, they just traded for Monte Morris. Surely they bring him back. I, I think guard for them for what it's worth. Yeah. So, like, I think yeah. they could very easily go guard. So I'm going to go Trey Alexander. He's the best guard on my board here. Um, I've gone back and forth with Trey a little bit. Again, I saw him in person. He's skinny, but I think he plays through contact pretty well. Um, it's going to come down to how can he shoot it? And that hasn't been great this year. The, the shooting percentage from three has actually dipped quite significantly. And so that is definitely a hesitation, but he's still over 80% from the free throw line every year of his career. Um, assist to turnover ratio well, that is the thing ex- is is he's playing on the ball more this year yes is yes the thing. last year he shot the ball really well shot 42 percent from three playing more off the ball next to ryan nemhard yeah this year he's playing on the ball it's a little bit trickier you know trey alexander six foot four guard good defender at creighton it's been good to see over the last six games or so he's really come back on yep 20 and a half points seven rebounds five and a half assists versus 2.3 turnovers 48% from the field, 31% from three only though, but 93% from the line. I think he's been good during that time. Yeah, no, I, th- I think there's times I like watch and I'm like, man, I'm not sure. And, and again, I have people like, uh, he's not really a first round guy. And then I watch and like, I legit put in my notes, like this is a guy that 
to believe in. Like he, he's a good player, can defend a little bit, can play a little bit on ball. Like you said, I don't think that's what he's going to do best. The shot has to really be something that, you know, maybe he shows in pre-draft and all of that. But here as we're getting to the first round for the Timberwolves, who, like you said, I think can make sense adding a guard to the rotation. Um, yeah, Trey Alexander. Last name on my board here for the Boston Celtics. We're going Zach Eady at center. They need some center depth long-term, in my opinion. Uh, they could use, we'll see, maybe they re-sign Xavier Tillman, who they just traded for. Uh, I wonder if he could get expensive in free agency, to be honest, which makes it a little bit tricky for them because uh, they have real cost limitations in terms of what they can do. But, you know, seven foot four, most productive player in college basketball, just point blank. Right. Uh, there are some people who think he's a lottery pick. I will just be transparent. I've not talked to anybody with an NBA team that has Zach E.D. as a lottery pick right now. Uh, just point blank. Uh, but averaging 23 points, 12 rebounds, 1.8 assists, shooting 62 percent from the field, 2.3 blocks. I will say I like Zach's defensive growth over the last three seasons. And I think he deserves a lot of credit there. He's a drop defender. He's limited in terms of his mobility. And I'm interested to see what it looks like in transition. I think the Purdue scheme really does do a good job of shielding some of his limitations. But you're this productive and like he's a great screen setter. He's truly a great screen setter for Purdue. He does a fantastic job of rolling to the basket, rolling into post-ups, finding mismatches. I think he is just able to create that like that ability to get his position against anybody uh, in college basketball. And I think he can kind of do it even against NBA level strength. So Zach Eady, number 30, that's my pick. Yeah, I'll be honest. Edie is a guy that I was thinking about uh, the other day where I'm like, I I've just been lazy as a scout with Edie where it's like, oh, you're going to love him or you're not going to love him. You and know so what that, I mean? That's the and, reality. And that's my thing. It's like, okay, he's seven foot, whatever, and he's big and the offensive rebounds and that's just who he is. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you need to give this kid some real attention and some like the due diligence of finding out the nuance of his game. How do I really feel about him in terms of movement? How do I really feel about him as a you know ball screen defender? And what do I really think there is offensively? And so he's one that's like very high on my cue in terms of I got to get like into this guy's game and stop kind of like qu quite frankly being a little bit lazy with, okay, you know, like I say, big seven footer that, you know, whatever, like I, I need to really figure out what nuance I, I feel or how I feel about the nuance in his game. Okay. We have two minutes. Cause I think that this will only post to YouTube if we get done in two hours. So quick recap, one to the Pistons, Zach Rizashay, number two to the Raptors, Alex Sar, number three to the Spurs, Nikola Topic, number four to the Grizzlies, Cody Williams, number five to the Wizards, Ron Holland, number six to the Hornets, Reed Shepard, number seven to the Blazers, Dalton Connect, number eight to the Rockets, Steph Castle, number nine to the Thunder, Jacoby Walter, number 10 to the Hawks, Modest Bezelis, number 11 to the Bulls, Ryan Dunn, number 12 to the Thunder, Kyle Filipowski, number 13 to the Blazers, Tijon Saloon, number 14 to the Pelicans, Rob Dillingham, number 15 to the Heat, Donovan Klingon, number 16 to the Magic, Johnny Furphy, number 17 to the Raptors, Tyler Smith, number 18 to the Knicks, Isaiah Collier, number 19 to the Suns, Jalen Tyson, number 20 to the Pelicans, Eve Missy, number 21 to the Hawks, Oso Iguodaro, number 22 to the 76ers, Devin Carter, number 23 to the Knicks, Keyshawn George, number 24 to the Bucks, 
Jared McCain, number 25 to the Thunder. Bobby Clintman, number 26 to the Nuggets, Deron Holmes. Number 27 to the Jazz, Kevin McCullough. Number 28 to the Cavs, Tyler Kolek. Number 29 to the Timberwolves, Trey Alexander. Number 30 to the Celtics, Zach Eady. Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people yeah. what's going on. Yeah, at Motor City Hoops, and I'll cut it off there so we keep it under two hours. Plus, uh, I got some football to watch. Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. We'll be back later this week. We'll talk about some NBA stuff as well. We're going to do draft stuff a little bit more regularly now. It's starting to do a little bit better numbers. We're starting to pick up a little bit, so I'm excited about that. Keep it locked here at the uh, Game Theory Podcast, though. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.